0: what's going on everybody welcome back to my unapologetic perspective here on the mighty motivation network where this podcast is where we give our point of view on controversial topics from experience black history and our knowledge as african and americans i want to thank everybody who has subscribed to youtube everybody that's been listening on spotify and apple Podcasts, everybody that comment on facebook and instagram everybody that shares the content Um, We appreciate everybody that um, that supports this podcast. And if you listening to it right now on Facebook or on Instagram or on Spotify or on YouTube, hit that share button or copy the link and send it to somebody that, you know, that will benefit from hearing this information. Um, Especially if they work in the school system, Um, send it to parents, send it to kids. Um, This is important information that we are giving out. And I believe that it is um, it is to everybody's benefit if they begin to listen and um, and really take in the information that we've been given. Absolutely. Um, I'm learning a lot every week uh, myself. So uh, it's great information. But I'm here with my co-host to the right of me. is
1: Shaquan Battle. I mean, hello. New, <laughs> y'all can't see it, but new Mike, new me. <laughs> and to the right of him, Jerome Battle. What up? Um
0: Again, share the broadcast, share (coughs) the the YouTube link. Um, In the words of Maya Angelou, do your best until you know better. And when you know better, do better. So it's important to search for information, discover what you don't know, so you can discover your best self. Um, We got a nice show lined up for you today as we're going to time travel here again today to uh, look at African-American history again on some things that people may not have know may not know about um so we're going to talk about today the influence of black music influence of black music today um what do y'all think about this topic before we get started love it love it
2: absolutely love wow. it uh, for for a lot of reasons and and first I, I like to go back to something that you said last week is that this podcast um my unapologetic perspective yes. Based on black history. So we we wanna we want to emphasize the black part of that 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 phrase. Um so often you hear people say, Well, are you guys gonna talk about anything other than black history? No. Nope. <laughs> we learned not at school. Nope, we're not. This is what we're gonna talk about. And we're gonna talk about it every week. And a lot of it is gonna be information that most people do not know. And we're gonna try to give you the chronology and then we're gonna try to tell you how. It, it's, it relates to you today. Right.
0: Like Steve Harvey said, if you don't like it, then dang it, this ain't for you. This ain't for
1: you. That's right. Go on, what you think about this topic? Uh, I love this because it because uh, me loving music, um, it was a lot of information that I didn't know um, prior to. Uh, just like with every other, other episode, I, I tell everybody, you know, I, I learn on camera. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Most of the time, the stuff that y'all say, I'm, I'm learning as y'all say it. So uh, for me, it's just opening up opening my brain and uh to new knowledge
0: absolutely uh for me i everybody know me i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm real stuck in my ways when it comes to music i still listen to 90s and 2000s music because it's it's music that i know i'm not a person that goes out and listens to uh, new albums and new music all the time because I like what I like. Even if I listen to it, I'm going to go back to what I like. That's right. Um, But this week, um, I listen to different genres of music. I like old school music that I know, that I heard, you know, my family playing before. But this week, I really got back into my bag, and I really uh, listened to all of the music, um, what we're going to talk about today. And I just, we're incredible people. Black people are incredible and i have a a newfound of um of uh, honor of music by listening to the different instruments listening to how the music is played um i'm more now i'm listening to the sounds more than just the words now just by this week of listening um, and researching this information. Um, but we're gonna jump right in and y'all know it's the segment where we're gonna go through a chronology of history. Uh, well, we're gonna start with the um, the roots of, of black music. And of course, when you talk about the roots, you always have to go back to the motherland. Um, but when, you, when Africans step onto the plantation, they brought music with them. That's right. Um, and music is the expression, the vibrations, the rhythm, the harmony and the communication um, as we talked about on episode one um, with the power of words. Go back and listen to that episode and you will begin to understand this episode even more. But with music, music was, um, it brought freedom for uh, the enslaved Africans. Um, It brought with them their love for the drums. We know that the the drum comes right out of uh, West Africa with the Mandinka. Um, The drum was used to communicate. It Absolutely. was used to celebrate. It was used to mourn and inspire, as it is still today. Absolutely, um, when you think about the war drum, how it was used to um, motivate people. When you listen to music now, you want the drum to be able to get you in in that certain rhythm. So we know how much the, the important the the drum is. Um, they were also bring they also brought along uh, called the the Diddly bow. Which inspired the guitar. That's so, right. um, where they would attach a wire to the side of a building or to anything, and they would take a nail and basically press down on that wire with pieces of glass and create musical sounds. Um, they eventually started handcrafting their <coughs> own, um, banjos, which looks a lot like the guitar. That's right. Um, and they, they began to create, uh, folk music and folk music came right out of Africa to where they would keep the history alive. By putting it into musical format, telling stories, They're telling stories, uh, and it passed down from generation to generation as we still see today. So one of the first thing that comes on the plantation is what we call Negro spirituals. Again, if you listen to episode one, I'll talk about this briefly, but the Negro spirituals was when they got here, they were given the the religion of Christianity. Some of them. Um, and these songs that they created they weren't allowed to go into the church and they, of course they weren't allowed to read so they were basically taking information that they already knew from the the bible and they would create songs just based off that they were infatuated with Moses mm-hmm. um because he led the slaves out of uh Egypt um they were fascinated with the word uh Canaan um so they began to come up with their own uh with their own songs, like Wade in the Water, um, which was um, believed to be, you know, uh, a Negro spiritual to warn um, people on the Underground Railroad. Um, They came up with songs like Steal Away to Jesus. Uh, They came up with songs about O Canaan, Sweet Canaan, which was um, basically a way of talking about going to the North to be free. Uh, They came up with all of these different songs. To communicate mm-hmm. because they, they had to be able to talk about things that, um, the slave master wouldn't understand. So right there on the plantation, they come up with their own culture. They come up with their own communication style. Um, and, and it's mostly expressed, uh, through music. But the, the Negro spiritualists believed to start all musical genres. Um, they were passionate. They were soulful. Um, and they were a lot of times emotional. So um, Negro spirituals laid the groundwork for what we call our genres today. And also with the Negro spirituals that created what we still see in music today, which is the shout back, which is known in the church. So if you say something, somebody say, I know that's right. That's right. Ain't that right, brother? That's but right. the Shout back comes right out of Negro spirituals. So one person will say the line and then everybody else will repeat the line. Mm-hmm. So the shout backs come right out of the Negro spirituals, come right out of the uh, the plantations, call and response, call and response, call and response. Absolutely. That's right. So, um, from there, you had the blues. So the, so after this, um, the Civil War, the South was still like in a depressive state. So you, you're still talking about people. Again, we go back. If you listen to this podcast, it, it shouldn't be new to you that after slavery, there was slavery again in the South, just called That's by right. a different name. Um, but after that, you know, sharecrappers, they weren't making any money really. They were basically still working on the plantation and basically they were working just to have a roof over their head That's and, right. and food in their mouth. They barely, they rarely ever made profits by sharecropping, profit, especially in Mississippi.
2: And most of them had debt and that, yeah. that, that debt was to the, to the former slave master. Right. So they had to continue the work um, basically to pay off that debt.
0: Absolutely. And from there, the, from those conditions, created the blues, which was... Poor Mississippi folk who were just expressing themselves through longing, loss, and desire. Um, so they would sing in the fields. They would sing while they was working on the railroad, mm-hmm. and that. Be, and they would take those handcrafted instruments that they um, that they came up with, and they would just learn and they would just create songs by what they were feeling. So that's where the blues come right out of. So when people say that the blues is depressing music, of course it is because it came out of a depression time. Um, But W.C. Handy, you know, he got it. He heard the blues while waiting for his train and he heard the sound of that. It would take a switchblade and put it on the, the guitar or the banjo and create that that real distinctive sound. And when W.C. Handy heard that he composed um, Memphis blues and it made it made it popular music um, in the South. And then from there arose jazz music. Uh, the blues gave birth to a new sound in New Orleans. So New Orleans, if you go back and look at history, New Orleans is a is a real um, different type of place, especially when you talk about all of Louisiana, uh, because it was a lot of it was 50 percent West African. That's right. Because it was owned by the French. It was ran by the French at one time. And the French were known to have more slaves than they actually did um Europeans living there. That's right. So you're talking about a huge culture of West Africans right there in the middle of, of New Orleans. And you also had musicians coming in from Europe and you also had what they called, uh, dance bands also. So they would play music. So from all of those coming together, the, the Negro spirituals, the blues, the European style of music, the West African style, and they brought in, uh, jazz, which was more of a up tempo type of style to blues music. And a lot of it really didn't even have lyrics. It didn't need lyrics. It didn't need words to come across over.
1: Um You know what's what's crazy is, you know, that's eighteen sixty. Mm-hmm. Um and we're gonna get it in we're gonna get into it later, but eighteen sixty for jazz and then you look at what New Orleans music is now, like yeah. the New Orleans bounce. Same it's thing. the same thing. Same thing.
0: They're, they're, they still used uh Manny Fresh was one of the main people who was still using that that yeah. New Orleans sound to to make music. Um, but again, the brass bands and the, the trombone was huge when it came to, to jazz. The trombone wasn't used really in blues music, but it, it brought that flair out when it came to jazz music and created that real dance type of music. New Orleans was a, a party place, you That's know, party right. That so also they,
2: led to to this, what they call swing as yeah, well. Yeah, swing That's music, right.
0: absolutely. So mm-hmm. then from... Um, jazz you had rhythm and blues you know some people say rhythm and blues means um different things um some people say it stands for ruthie brown some people say <laughs> it stands for
2: rhythm and black yeah, you know? yeah. So, it's funny because a lot of people don't know when you listen to r&b that's what it that's what it stands bro, for rhythm right? It's rhythm blues. and blues yeah. a lot of people don't know that
0: Yeah, yeah. And rhythm and blues was a a combination of the jazz music and blues music absolutely um and they, they actually created what they call race records. Race records was meant just for the black audience. That's right. Um, So it, it, it had the, the rhythms of jazz, but it had the
2: soul of, of the blues. Right. And actually, before that, it was called soul music. Soul music. It was called soul music before that, before it got to to be rhythm and blues. And it and was soul it, came, music. it became
0: soul music, and it became the sexy music. It That's became, right. It eventually became the sexy music. And then out of uh, rhythm and blues, you had... Rock and roll come come to uh, play. It all came right out of those music. Some some musicians from jazz, from blues, and from R and B are considered the founders of rock and roll. Uh, Absolutely. Most most people talk about the invention of rock and roll. You're talking about you're talking about people who came that inspired them thirty years, forty years prior. So when you talk about the Little Richards, you know they were. They were influenced by other artists that were already doing jazz, blues. Absolutely, and absolutely. So, um, when you talk about rock and roll, um, it
2: derived from rhythm and blues and all the things that 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 got you rhythm and blues. Yeah. So it it, it started the chain, which it led to rock and roll as well as country and western. Country
0: and because West, country, country and western,
2: western, western yeah. is just a, a a country western form of the blues. Right. Yeah.
1: like Chuck Berry and those uh, absolutely.
0: Little Richard was, of course, Little Richard. But the thing about rock and roll is it, it was catered toward teenagers because they were spontaneous. They were they had an edge to them, you know. They they were they were different, when right? You look at and he, Little Richard, when you look at you did the yeah. guitar
2: riffs that was exciting to the yeah. younger population. They gave that different sound, that vibrant sound to it that they liked. Yeah.
0: So when you, when you look at the chronology of, of music, you can see how we derived that where we arrived at today because everything is basically. Taking something and cre- and being innovative to create something new, and a lot of times they didn't even know what they were doing. Right, it, it was just like, oh, that that sounds different. Yeah, I'm doing something different. That's what I, black I, people do. They absolutely, people
2: it, it's a part yeah. in, uh, in in in. Uh get on up the James Brown movie yeah. where James Brown is asking the 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 guy who was like what what is that you holding and he had to get and he said a guitar he said no what was you holding at <laughs> It's a drum. That's right, it's a drum. Every instrument is a drum. Yeah. And he says, well with they're playing off beat. He was like does it sound good to you? Does it feel good it to you? Good the yeah, exactly. You know, if it feels good and it sounds good, then that's what it is. Right. Um, so I, I and we'll get into James Brown a little bit later on because he did some things that were, at the time, was instrumental into how music is done today mm-hmm. that I don't even think a lot of people even understand.
0: Right. So when, when you look at the chronology of history, what, what did you get from that, from the re- <coughs> and looking at
1: the chronology of it? Yeah. Uh, just how it went from Negro spirituals to rhythm and blues to jazz to um to the blues. It was like you look at some of these artists in rock and roll, it goes back to to ones that started it. It it says, you know, that they probably started country music too. So <laughs> yeah. they was just making music. They didn't, they, know, they what, didn't know what it genre was. Right. it was. They were just making music. That's right. They was just adding different components to, to music and then it transcended into something different. Mm-hmm. And, and again,
0: that, that's nothing that we haven't seen in the past, you know, with a lot of the, the labels that is put on the music came from white America trying to, you know, putting their stamp on on, right. on the music. But black people didn't care about the stamp. They were just making music. They were being creative with, with what we do and, and creating new things. Even if you look at rap today, rap changes every five years. It's because they're not thinking about. Just sticking to what is already being played. Black people are always looking at, okay, what can be done differently. Right. I'm giving some, I'm giving people something that they might not even know that they need. And That's right. when you think about the blues, they gave people something that they didn't even know that they needed. When you mm-hmm. think about jazz, they gave people something that they didn't even know that they needed. Plus, the thing I love so much about doing this research is in hip hop, we see the geography. We see New York music. We see right. South music. We see West Coast music. The same thing happened with the blues and jazz. You had St. Louis blues. You had Mississippi mm-hmm. blues. You had Texas blues. You had New Orleans style of jazz. Then you had people like uh, Miles Davis create West Coast type of jazz, uh, cool type of jazz,
2: fusion yeah, jazz, yeah. traditional so, jazz. So, you, so
0: you, when you look at history, it, it depends on music, again, is an expression by what you see
2: Could so be an expression you, of the individual or the environment. Right. right. So when That's you right. look at
0: the environment, the Texas blues is different from St. Louis blues because the environment is different. That's the right. St. Louis blues was a little bit more uptempo because they partied a little bit more in Missouri where in Texas or in Mississippi, you know, they're, they're on, they're still on plantations. That's right. So the music is a direct influence, as you said, on the environment and the people. And, it's funny when you talk about James Brown, when you talk about some of these artists, because when I was watching documentaries and doing readings, a lot of people said they didn't even know what the people in the South were talking about.
2: That's right. Because you
0: you could, even if you listen to the music, they're like, man, that, that lingo, I don't even understand it. But you understand it. I don't understand it, but I understand right. it. That's right. And that and you can listen to a rapper now, and you know, I don't listen to a lot of new rap, but I can understand what the person is saying without understanding
2: what the right. person is that's saying. That's right. We, we, we've always been able to communicate amongst ourselves. Right. That, that's always been the thing is communication. We talked about uh, the slaves, how they communicated yeah. using using music. But even if you 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 go a little bit further, because we talk about them communicating, um, keeping stories alive from their ancestors and things of that nature. But also, uh, Mayor Angelou said, I may not remember what you said, but I always remember how you made me feel. When you think about music, music can make you feel good, even if it's sad things, Mm -hmm. but that emotion. So slaves sang songs to make them feel a certain way while they were working. And then you sang different songs that make you feel a certain way when you weren't. So music was very important to how it made them feel. Um, As you go on and you look at one of the things that, that I found astonishing about the history of black music is how in the beginning blacks weren't recording we talked about this a little bit before uh the podcast they weren't perf- they weren't recording anything
0: or writing and stuff
2: that's right they were just singing yeah uh, uh and performing live right. so they weren't recording anything so they were just going different places and performing mm-hmm. um if you watch uh if you watch James Brown you saw where they had the black band playing and and things of that that nature for the, for the the white people, mm-hmm. and they just played. Mm-hmm. They just played music. They didn't record, they just played. So as time went on, because what would happen is they would play live and then white America would go to the studio the next day and and record the song. And, it, the, same and it, song. the same song. <laughs> they would sing it differently, of course, yeah. but they would record the same song. So it got to the point where the artists didn't matter. It was the song. So people migrated to the song, not the artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was unique. And it, it we go all the way back to 1890. George W. Johnson became the first African-American to record commercially. Mm-hmm. So at that point, no black had recorded anything in the studio. Everything was live. Um, I'll give you guys a little association to something a little more recent, maybe not as recent for you guys, but you remember the song Lottie Dottie by Dougie Fresh and, and, and Slick Rick? Mm-hmm. Originally, that song was not on any record. It was just a song they performed live at a club mm-hmm. and they would perform it live everywhere, but it wasn't a song on a record. Later on, they decided to put it on the record, but at first, it was just a song. Very symbolic to how music was done in the black community back in the early 1800s. Yeah, I, I,
0: even if you look at the first hip hop song, you know that was something that they was doing in the parks, and then absolutely you get these artists from New Jersey to record, and he records a whole verse that he heard at the park.
2: Absolutely and, and took
0: credit for it, but um, yeah, that's one of the things we see. And when you talk about not being recorded, it, it hurt a lot of the artists because you had people like. Uh, Buddy Bolden, who some considered being the inventor of jazz music, didn't even get the credit for it because he never recorded a song. So that's some right. People say, like, there's little evidence, but people say, like, you hear black artists say all the time, oh, I was inspired by him. He, that's right. He's a he real creator when you look at, oh, who started uh, such and such? Oh, oh, no, nah, I, I took I mean, let Great example for the people who listen to rap um, ice T. They said, Ice T, you started this, you know, West Coast gangster type of rap. He said, No, I didn't. I heard this from a guy in Philly. But without Ice T saying that, we would never, never know about the artists in Philly who had the same song, similar beat, similar flow. And that's what happened with a lot of these artists. They would tell people, like, nah, I studied under him. He was doing his way before. That's so right. people like Buddy Bolden and all of those um type of artists who were innovators really didn't get their just due because um they didn't think about trying to get credit for things. They were just making music and, and doing those things. Um but when you talk about the impact for the musician side, again they found their expression. So again words can be verbal words can be non-verbal or they can be instrumental. So when you think about Miles Davis, you know mm-hmm. Miles Davis is playing the um the, the the trumpet your or or the saxophone or an instrument you can hear what he's saying like other artists they can hear another player playing an instrument say i know exactly how he feel that's you right you know what i'm saying i know exactly what 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 he's playing i know how you feel that's an expression
1: which
2: but- that, that's that's unique because you know that led to what is called scat scatting mm-hmm. scat music which is where you have a person who actually sings the part that the instrument makes mm-hmm. so you they would scat because they could feel what that person was mm-hmm. doing on the instrument. So that's that that was a, another form of Black-oriented music that came about called scat music.
0: Absolutely. And even when you think about those sounds, um, scientists have proven that certain sounds from instruments impact the brain. Waves. That's right. So if you listen to jazz music like Miles Davis... It gives you a relaxing feeling. You can sit back and you can clear your mind. You can think intellectually. When you listen to that piano, for the people who go to church, they play that one piano note to get you vibrating on a higher That's frequency. Right. When you think about the guitar, the, uh, when you think about their, uh, the bass of a drum, all of these instruments are played at certain keys or at certain notes and pitches because it impact the brain waves. So these musicians were impacting people's emotions, and feelings through playing instruments or through singing. That's right. Um, what you also see through the, the music is mentorship. So you had people who always brought upon the next protégé. Right. That's right. Whether you're looking at Ma Rainey uh, going to Betsy, whether you're looking at Miles Davis to Coltrane, whether you're looking at uh Lil Richard to James Brown. Well, it, it's always that 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 mentorship
2: and that handoff. That handoff.
0: So you may see somebody at 16, 17, 18-year-old playing in a band of somebody that's already popular. And then three years later, he got his own band and he's popular. So we always see that correlation with the mentorship. Um, and then you also by playing an instrument, we talk about all this time on the podcast, you always bring up drumline that playing an instrument is a this should be a respect level that's and, right and back then they did get that respect because playing an instrument is not the easiest thing in the world so um they got the the respect level from other musicians from the audience and from white america from being able to to do this
2: without going to school for it a lot of these that's they right. didn't go to
0: school for they were playing off of, of sound and playing off of mentorship and,
2: and you know for for so many years drummers were considered just like anybody else in the band, they were the background. Right. So your, your lead singer was the main person of the group. Most people remember the lead singer. Mm-hmm. Not many people remember the drummer right. or the lead guitarist. It wasn't until James Brown that people start recognizing the people that were playing the instruments, mm-hmm. the people that were in the background. He would, he would, he would put them up front, uh, tell them, get a drum or something. Yeah, get, get a drum and, or something. And, and
0: most of his songs if you listen to them, there's like a minute or a minute thirty, where he's not even saying it. That's he, right. He's just letting you letting the drummer go. He's letting the um, that's right. The, the person playing the clarinet or the trumpet go. He's he letting them let go. go. That's Everybody. right.
2: But you got to remember, that was doing the era of dance too. Yeah. So while they're doing their thing, the he's group doing group. this thing because yeah. he's the, dancing. The, Absolutely.
0: The, the um, <clears> uh, and it's also important for the audience. It what, it what it what the audience found? They found fun, freedom, and understanding. Because a lot of these records were was talking directly to them. Again, they race records. They're talking directly to them. Absolutely. And just like the freedom in the Negro spirituals on the plantation, blues gave them freedom, whether it's freedom from white America or freedom from their, from their spouse. That's right. Because a lot of blues records talked a lot about, Hitting women uh, in That's right.
2: It, it also quickly became uh, a, a way to to provide for your family and have your friends and band members to be able to provide for their family. Right. Because prior to that, remember, we were saying that in the in the 1890s, um, blacks weren't recording. So they right. were just performing live. So it wasn't a lot of money involved in that, um, which changed. And we'll get to that later on. But also uh, in 1911, um, Burt Williams became the first African-American to be popular because of him, not necessarily the songs. Mm -hmm. So prior to him, it was the song that everybody wanted to hear. They didn't really care who sung it, just sing it. And then later on, when it got to Burt Williams, he became the star that people wanted to go see. And that was 1911. So you're still talking about quite a bit of time that blacks were actually creating music before they started getting recognized as the person that was, you know, creating this music.
0: Absolutely. And one one quick thing before we go to the break. uh, The music also gave the audience um, uh, fun. So, again, Black America may have to, you know, deal with the white balls, be called a nigga all day, you know, deal with the racism that they see. But for that one night during the week, going to the juke joint or Mm -hmm. going to a dance, was their way of freedom. It was their way of negating everything that happened to them earlier during the week. We still see that today. People that's right, club. the club, yeah. Friday, Saturday, yeah. because the work week was so bad. So you just right. need to get out. So this music was a uh, a releasing point, not just for the musicians, but for the audience that's uh, right. listening as well. And again, the messages was always hope. You know, as you look through the Negro spirituals, and you still listen to music today. A lot of the music is giving black people hope by being truthful and honest. Absolutely, um, But we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Again, go to the YouTube Body Motivation Network. Hit the subscribe button as we continue on with this episode. Uh, so let's get into some impactful musicians um, in each genre. Uh, I'll start with Of course, you talk about the Negro spirituals leading the gospel, the um, the fist jubilee singers Mm -hmm. um, to save their institution. Um, The treasurer actually wanted to take all of the the people who sung on the choir or whatever and just go around and make money by allowing them to sing. And they went all across the the United States singing and raising money to save the school. Kind of like what we have seen with Sister Act Two, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then they, they were actually the first um the first group to enter to uh introduce uh black music to Europe because they actually traveled to Europe and also um sung these songs. So uh the fish jubilee singers were really ahead of their time with traveling and, and singing um to raise funds for their school, which which I found was dope. Um uh in blues. Um, of course, everybody's seen the, the new movie on Netflix that came out, I think, this past year with um, Chadwick Boswick with, with talking about Ma Rainey, um, which was a, a very, a very good uh, visual. Um, but Ma Rainey actually got her start at, uh, at 14 and Ma Rainey actually, after she got married, um, she traveled around doing minstrel shows with her husband, you know, singing and dancing. And all of those things until she was introduced to the blues, and where she took the blues music and introduced it into the mistral shows. So she would still do the dressed it up in costumes right. while singing um while singing these blues songs and 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 moving uh flamboyantly across the stage. Um, but she was also the mentor for uh people like Bessie Smith. She also put people on like Louis Armstrong to record with her. Um but Ma Rainey is considered the uh mother of blues. And she also was a businesswoman. Um, she didn't allow white people to take advantage of her when it came to uh, money. Uh, so her, you know, her music demanded respect for the female, and she was a, a bigger plus-size woman to where you know, she would get into it with men. But her, her music and her strong presence on, on stage was huge when it came to blues music and, and really transforming blues music to being a, a popular music, not only in the South, but around the world. Uh,
1: and and that's Ma Rainey um, when it comes to blues music. Uh, I'm going to stay in blues. Um, no, 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 no. I'm going to go jazz. Ella Jane Fitzgerald was born in Newport News, Virginia, an American jazz singer, sometimes referred to as the first lady of song, queen of jazz and lady Ella. She was noted for her purity of tone, phrasing, timing and horn like ability. Um, particularly in scat singing. That's right. right that's huge. Uh,
0: especially talking about a woman playing an instrument, that's huge. Because most of the time, the women was just... That's singers. right. Right. Um, actually, in, in, when you look at the times, men weren't respected as singers. They that's were, right. They, they actually wanted black women to do most of the singing. So when it came to white clubs and, and white audiences, they always wanted the... The black woman singing, going back to the mammy thing that we talked right. about. They wanted the the big black woman singing, yeah. her
2: powerful voice. That's right. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm gonna go in this in the 60s and the 70s just for a quick second, only because that's the music I grew up listening to, you know, my dad, my mom. But um also the, the group I'm gonna mention was instrumental. To early forms of rap, especially West Coast rap. So you got your people like your Dr. Dre's and your NWA and of course Snoop Dogg. We'll talk about Parliament Funk. P Funk.
0: P Funk. Yeah. All right.
2: Parliament funk. Funkadelics. Uh, you can call them. They had several names. And it was a it was a boatload of groups that circulated from that, including George Clinton. And then uh, of course Boosie Collins, who I'm gonna mention a little bit later on. But um, that culture of funk. Um, is what they called it, was the first form of Afrofuturism that America had ever seen. This is where they really wanted to showcase the Afrocentric of, of Black Black America, um, which was huge because a lot of people, as we talked about before, shot away from that. So as you you got the better job and you moved out of the ghetto, you wanted to get further away from your Afrocentric, as you possibly could, and and be more mainstream. Um, not saying that you sold out or anything like that, but saying that you wanted to be recognized as an individual rather than a group. Um, saying that you didn't want to be recognized as a black person. But I don't want to say I'm like those. Right. And Parliament Funk made us feel good about being Afro- Afro-American. And uh, that form of music, that funk, um, led into what West Coast broke into rap with, like, Use, like <laughs> li- using that, that West Coast, that that funk sound. So Funkadelics was very instrumental in the 60s and the 70s, but also in the 80s and the 90s with rap, which is how you ended up with rappers like Snoop Dogg. That's dope, that's, that's dope because when you listen to a lot of the new music, a lot of the, of course, the new artists don't know that they sampling
0: from yeah. older artists, but people who actually, like, really into like beats and really into um um like uh probably the 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 advanced part of the studio and all of those things production wise they understand that a lot of the music comes from these type of samples from these artists
2: absolutely and and also the the slang the dialect the way we use words if you if you listen to funk um some of the words like like the mothership um baby bubba you know when you when you hear you hear me talk sometimes when i talk to you guys i'll be like ain't nothing to it baby yeah. you know that's that's that funk that's yeah. that funk sound um and that's that's where we got some of our dialect from especially people from my generation you know we we lived we lived that life we lived that talk and uh, we loved it you know even some of the terminology when you knock somebody out they say you got knocked smooth yeah. that's p funk <laughs> that's p funk baby
0: I'm going to stay in the blues because it, I want to get to my favorite blues artist, but I got to talk about this person before I talk about him, which is Charlie Patton considered the father of Delta blues from Mississippi. Um, some even considered again, him being the first rock and roller because he would do things um, that inspired people like little Richard, Jimi Hendrix, and James Brown to where people was like, yo, what's wrong with this dude? They thought there's much <laughs> wrong with him because he would, he would play the guitar behind his head behind his legs, jump up and down with the jump. He was like, yo, this dude is absolutely crazy playing the guitar this way. But um, he would play loud and rough. As people who like, who like rock and roll, again, that flair of playing the guitar loud and rough came from a guy by the name of Charlie Patton. Uh, by, age na- by age 19, he was already considered a successful songwriter and performer as he performed on plantations. And they said his voice was so strong. Remember, that then you played the instrument And you sung when people talk about, you talk about all the time, did how Chris Brown can sing and dance. That's right. And he still sound good. So Charlie Patton was singing and playing the guitar crazy. And still they said his voice carried 500 yards without amplification. That's how strong his voice voice was. Um, he ended up in uh, mentoring, uh, some of my favorite, one of my favorite artists, which is Howling Wolf. That's probably my favorite blues artist. Um, but how Patton taught Howlin' Wolf how to play the guitar and he taught him tricks on the guitar and he actually taught him how to yodel. But when Howlin' Wolf were yodel, they would say, it sounds like you howling at the moon, like, like a wolf. <laughs> and that's what he uh, continued to do because he said it sound good. But Howlin' Wolf not only uh, could sing, he could play the harmonica and he could play the guitar. Um, he was actually discovered by Ike Turner. Um, so but the Rolling Stones was doing a TV show. And they said, the only way we're going to do this show if we let the person that inspired us sing. And that was Howlin' Wolf. And they allowed Howlin' Wolf to go on TV and sing, which was not known at the time. A lot of Black artists weren't allowed to be on TV, um, especially singing. But they wanted the Rolling Stones because the Rolling Stones were white. They they took on this, this music. But they said, you know, Howlin' Wolf inspired us to do it. So you should put Howlin' Wolf um, on the show. And they did. But he was considered the ultimate band leader. And when you talk about a band leader, you know, anybody can play, can write music, just sing the music and play the music. But for a band leader, you have to make sure that everybody's on point. You have to know everybody's, what everybody's supposed to be playing. You're the point guard. You're the point guard. Yeah. So Howlin' Wolf was the ultimate band leader because he, can, he knew how to make the music come together. He knew what everybody should be playing um, and what should, everybody should be doing. Not only that, you talked about earlier about making money, um, to take care of the other band. That's right. He was the first to incorporate giving his band health benefits. That's right. Because he had made so much money, he allowed, he was able to give all his band members health insurance, um, through anything that ever happened to them, plus a decent salary because he didn't spend his money. They were. They would say he would ride around in his truck that was beat up with $4,000 in his pocket. Um, So Howlin' Wolf is one of my favorite uh,
1: blues artists. Uh, I love listening to him. I've been listening to him all week, so I love it.
2: Good. Good. Uh,
1: Staying in blues. Lonnie Johnson, 1899. uh, Equally capable of knocking out the the inventor of dirty blues and fluid jazz. Um, He recorded... Estimated over 130 songs in seven years. Uh, he he recorded with Duke Ellington, uh, Louis Armstrong, and here's here's the thing is he influenced Elvis Presley. Of course, oh, they all did. Everybody did. In, <laughs> and, and, and in fact. Elvis Presley recorded one of his songs. Most of the songs Lonnie. he recorded was belong to somebody and, else. They <laughs> recorded
2: a lot of people's songs. One <laughs> of them was called, it was called
1: Tomorrow Night. Yeah. And it, it sounds nothing like Lonnie Johnson. And it's that's good. the thing, when it comes
0: to Elvis, they just wanted somebody that sounded black. Yeah. Elvis, if you didn't see Elvis, it Elvis sounded black. black. And that's what they wanted. That's right.
2: I got to go James Brown. <laughs> and, and I got to go James Brown for a lot of reasons. Um, I know a lot of people probably heard stories about James Brown, you hear his music, but you don't really understand the impact that James Brown had on music today. And, And I didn't either. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know this until, you know, probably about seven or eight years ago, the impact of James Brown and my cousin jazz for people that know jazz, the rap artist. Um, he hit me to a lot of things regarding music growing up, but it was in, in, you know, probably about eight, nine years ago, he hit me to something else that James Brown instituted. Prior to James Brown, uh, we you talk about music and measures, especially when it comes to beat. You have the downbeat and you have the upbeat. And for to know the difference, the downbeat, if you clap your hands, the downbeat is when you put your hands together. The upbeat is when you bring them apart. And prior to James Brown, everything was done on the second and fourth measure. So you one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. James started what is called the one. And for those that want to Google this, look up Boosie Collins. Um, Boosie Collins talks about how James Brown explained to the band members what the one mean. And you listen to James Brown songs. He always talk about, you got to be on the one, on the one. The one is you're putting stress on the first measure of every beat. One, two, three, four. One, two. That's how we learn music today. If you go to any dance class, they're going to teach you how to dance on the one. Right. Right. So if you listen to a lot of songs that were pre-James Brown, it's going to sound good. But there's parts of it you listen to today, it's going to sound like it's offbeat a little bit. That's because it was on the two and the four, not the one. So you've been conditioned to listen to music on the one because everything after that's been on the one. James Brown created that. So when you listen to music, when you listen, watch people, you guys did it before using drum machines or software that created beats. How did the clicks go? Right. One, two, three, four. Everything's done on the one now, thanks to James Brown. So to me... We can talk about all the other things he did in music, but to me, that is the most important because anywhere in the world, music is done on the one. The other thing that James Brown did that I thought was very unique, other than the fact that he understood that performing was important, and you can look at any of the the legendary rap artists that we talk about today. You look at Jay-Z, you look at Eric B and Rakim, you look at Run DMC, you look at any of these rappers that a lot of you probably heard about, you may didn't get to see them perform, but you heard about them. They probably made more money traveling on the road and performing live than they did off the actual music that right. they made. So performing has always been important to black music. We talked about going all the way back to the early 1800s when blacks performed, they didn't record. They simply performed. We're still doing that today. James Brown was the epitome of that. So you talk about people being able to perform like Chris Brown. Before Chris Brown, there was Bobby Brown. Mm -hmm. Bobby Brown was not the greatest singer. He was the greatest entertainer. Mm -hmm. You go to James Brown. James Brown was both. He wrote. He wrote. He could play any instrument, and he made sure that his band was on the one. And they knew when he told them, you want me to count it off? They was right on point. They they go right in. Um, one of the greatest entertainers, songwriters, uh, uh, composers, and recording artists to ever live. He changed the game. And I don't think a lot of times he gets the, the respect or the credit that he really deserves for how we listen to music today. And I, I think people ought to... When you listen to James Brown, I want you to listen to what he's doing. One of the greatest songs you can listen to, and it's the third most sampled song, and we're going to get into that a little later too, is Funky Drummer. Mm -hmm. He has a song called Funky Drummer. Google it. Listen to it. Close your eyes. You're going to close your eyes. I'm going to tell you now. You're going to close your eyes, and you're going to find yourself doing that. It's nasty look. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to find yourself doing it. James Brown was a genius. And it's, it's funny
0: that you say that, because when you think about, you know, uh, he actually wanted to record his album live and the, the record company said, we're not doing that. That's we. right. Um, but he funded it out of his own pocket. And when you listen to live um, albums, um, one of my favorites is Sam Cooke live at Harlem Square. That's right. One of my favorite albums, Usher Live. Um, there are a lot of live albums out there because there are certain people like a James Brown that when you put them in a the studio, and you conform them or confine them to a certain space without their energy, the music dies down. That's right. But when they're on stage and they're live is when you actually feel that expression that we talk about in the music. Um, And black artists have that expression. That's why a lot of times live music or seeing somebody in concert it's way better than the actual recording. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you say, yo, I want that version that he did on stage mm-hmm. because I feel that version. But when you listen to it, you go back and you it listen to the song, awesome. it don't sound the same. It's like, dang, this is a uh, uh, a broken down version mm-hmm. of the song that I, I felt when I, when I heard it live. So um, that is instrumental. I'm going to go with uh, Miles Davis. I'm, I'm going to go with Miles Davis because of uh, how different he was um, we we champion all the time the artists that come from poverty, the artists that come from the the mud, but we also have to champion artists that came from a wealthy family. That Miles Davis did. His mom was a successful singer, and she actually wanted him to play the piano and and, and wanted him to learn the violin. But his father ended up enrolling him in, in trumpet classes, and he received his first trumpet at, at ten years old, and he could already play professionally at thirteen. Um, he ended up going to the school of uh, Juilliard for music. But this is after he plays with a few professional bands. That's right. So when he was at Juilliard, he said, they, they taught me how to be a better uh, trumpet player. But he said, they didn't tell me how to be a better musician. So he really hated the music that he had to really uh, learn at Juilliard. So he ended up dropping out of Juilliard and, and start and joining another band um, after World War II the music, jazz music began to change a little bit after after World War II. And um he started his own band and revolutionized that that old <laughs> jazz sound that that came out of the uh that went into the West Coast. Um not only that, but um he refused to play old music. Whenever he got older, they would want him to go back and play some of his old records that that made him famous. And he refused to do so because he said that I'm not looking to bring up or glorify old sounds. I'm looking to revolutionize <clears throat> sounds. Right. I'm looking for the next sound. You guys should be happy with the music that I'm putting out. It's not gonna sound like the way it did 10 years ago. Mm. Um, but he uh, he actually started teaching music, um, started his own school to start teaching kids how to play music and how to read music, um, which I believe is um, important to, to give back and to again, to mentor those next musicians. Um, so that's uh, Miles Davis.
1: Uh, Ronald Osley, uh, lead singer of the Osley Brothers. Uh, the band was founded in 1950. Uh, he started his solo career in 1954. He is one of the few artists to release a hit song in six different decades: 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000. And a lot of times, uh, he's heavily him and the Osley uh, Brothers are heavily sampled in hip hop to date.
2: Stevie Wonder is one of the only other artists to ever do that. There's there's very few yeah. that, you know, in every decade. Um, I'm not gonna go particular artists. I, I'm gonna talk about artists that I got introduced to early in life. Um, my dad played uh, keyboard and electric guitar when we were so, kids. See,
1: so we keep learning. Yeah, yeah, new stuff on <laughs> <clock>. <laughs>
2: yeah. My my dad used to play electric guitar and and you know he'd go in the basement and and start plucking away on the guitar man and, and singing blues and and things like that. And we we creep down the steps and and listen. But my dad also had eight track tapes and records. And I know you guys don't know what an eight track is, but that was before cassettes. And for those that don't know what cassettes, that was before <laughs> CDs. So we would sneak into the basement and listen to my dad's records. And dad, I'm 52 now, I can't get in trouble for this. But we would listen to the records, and I would listen to people like Otis Redding, Sam Cooke, um, Donnie Hathaway, uh, who I told you guys off air is one of my favorite artists. Um, but when you when with just those three artists that I just named, um they all died early, you know, and 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 some in very tragic ways. Donny Hathaway, you know, had early um, mental illness. And back then, people really didn't know what mental illness was. They were just deemed crazy. And uh, so along with the the things that come with being great in certain things, there's some things that's not so great. When we talk about drug use. Um, some of the behavior that comes with being artistic. Um, and when you have that certain artistry, it makes you different, makes you strange. Um, when I think about people like Prince, Prince, um, for those that watch Purple Rain, one of my favorite movies of all time. And the best scene for me was this, the club owner told him and stop playing that stuff. You know, I told you before, nobody want to hear that but you. See, for people that are true Prince fans, and I am. You never went to see Prince live. You know why? If you went to see him live and you thought he was going to play his hits, you wasted your money. Mm-hmm. Prince never played any of his hits live. Prince was an artist. Prince going to play what he want to play. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear him play the, the, the hits, buy the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? by the album. You go see him live, he going to play a song you never heard. He was a true artist. He didn't care about what you wanted to hear. Yeah. He was an artist. I'm going to play what I want to play. I'm going to play how I feel right This is how I feel right now. And if you ain't with that, you ain't an art, you're ain't not a Prince fan. And he was okay with that, but you bought his album and the radio was going to play him. I think that artists feel that same, that same sentiment that Prince talked about. And when you listen to James Brown, if you watch the movie, he tells him, does it feel good to you? Does it sound good to you? And that's music. Right. And that's what these artists did. Um, So for for me, it was being introduced to this music where the artists did not care about record sales. Otis Redding did not care about record sales. Sam Cooke did not care about record sales. Um, Donny Hathaway was in a studio recording something for other groups. It wasn't even for him at the time that he really had that final um, mental collapse and he committed suicide. So these were artists, true artists that love music. And I think when you sometimes when we listen to people, especially rappers, because these are the ones that get deemed as saying, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that kind of music. I don't like that rap. Mm -hmm. They're doing what feels good to them. Mm -hmm. You know, now not saying all of them, because a lot of it is about money. It's about what's selling today. So one of the reasons that rap music changed so much is not necessarily people doing what feels good to them. They're doing what they think can sell. This is what's going to sell right now. And obviously it becomes about money
0: absolutely uh we're gonna take a quick commercial break we'll be right back and we are back uh we're gonna jump right back into this episode um the next person i want to talk about actually i'm not going to talk about a specific person i'm gonna talk about a whole um uh, a whole record label motown hitsville usa um who produced uh smoky robinson jackie wilson the commodores Temptations, Diana the Ross, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Jackson Fire, Gladys Knight and the Pimps.
2: <laughs> Everybody the list, you listen too, in to in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. This goes on <laughs> and on,
0: right? Uh but when you look at Barry Gordy, Barry Gordy, of course, growing up in Motown, Detroit, um, he ran this record company similar to how they ran the um the, the, the car manufacturing company in in Detroit um by it basically being everything being assembled one part at a time. So when you think about their music, once you got signed, you had to basically go through training. So the group you sign, you go through vocal training, you go through professionalism training. Um, and then you gotta make a hit, but the hit gotta be for you. So you go through that training. Artist development. Yeah, art, that's basically what it was, artist development. You had kids coming in, learning to play instruments. And then you get added to a band and, and you work together. Uh, so Barry Gordy was instrumental with doing that. Um, but when you listen to Motown, Motown had a, a blues lyrics. It had jazz flair. It had R&B rhythm. And it had a rock and roll edge. So uh, when you look at Motown Records, when we talk about this uh, history of music, when you look at their music, it, it was a combination of, of all of it. Um, but... It was also instrumental in keeping up with the time. So when artists began to speak out more, especially after Sam Cooke's um, record um, start talking about change, they did it on Motown Records. Uh, number one of them being Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye, you know, he heard the horror stories from his brother coming back from Vietnam. Um, he saw on TV police brutality against protesters. And Barry Gordy at first thought it was going to ruin Marvin Gaye's career by coming up with this song, What's Going On? And eventually allowed Marvin Gaye to do it and eventually allowed a lot of other artists on Motown to speak about the same things and express themselves. But um, it became timeless music when you think about Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? And, uh all of those artists coming out of Motown kept up with the times, and that's why it, it lasted so long and, and produced so many great artists
1: that are still simple today. You would have been an artist on Motown. Why? <laughs> Just look at the roster, and then your personality—you would have been on Motown. Yeah, I love
0: Motown.
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go Aretha Franklin, uh, also known as the Queen of Soul, uh, one of the most powerful singers in music history. She has a recording list hits through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and the 90s. No one has matched her commercial success or critical acclaim. She is most she is the most charted female in uh, music chart history, which I think Nicki Minaj passed her last year. So another great female uh, artist. So Aretha Franklin. Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm not going to go artist. I'm... I'm... I'm gonna stay away from individual artists for a second. I I, I know you guys probably don't want to get into it because uh, off air we talked about it and it's it is an episode in itself. But I do have to mention it um, when we talk about hip hop. I, I just I have to mention it um, because I'm from the era of the start of hip hop. Mm-hmm. So of course I I, I I we would be remiss not to mentioning in this episode. But first, I want to say don't Google hip hop we don't, don't google wikipedia is a definition from the very beginning is inaccurate mm-hmm. um hip hop is not rap by itself um hip hop is a culture it, it was a movement actually um and it included things like when we say rap rap wasn't a part of it it was called mcing so you had mcs not rappers and mc was master of ceremony um, and then, of course, you had the dance, um, graffiti, the language, the clothing, the whole culture, the whole thing about hip hop um, was the the movement of black music for the younger generation. And what happened is uh, we, black America, allowed mainstream to turn it into a fad, something that was fashionable, something that was for the moment. Um, something that drives me crazy is, is that. We allowed it to happen for money. Mm-hmm. And it, it, what what hip-hop in its original form was about was about expression of urban authenticity, poetic licensing. If, if for those that know my cousin Jazz, Jonathan Burks, uh, we they used to call him here in, in Bedford, Johnny B, uh, Bumfus. Um, he talks <laughs> about poetic licensing. Um, and it gives you the ability, the right, to say something um, that maybe nobody else has said before. So poetic licensing is important. Art and and artistic creativity. Um, Urban language. It was about black people being themselves and presenting themselves the way we are, um, which was very important. Mainstream, and this, we talked about this off air, and this, this still happens today. So mainstream, and I won't just say white America, we'll just say mainstream, we call called R&B, rock and roll, country and Western singers. They will call them recording artists, not singers, recording artists. They will refer to rappers as rappers. Mm-hmm. They don't call them recording artists. They don't acknowledge the fact that they are even an artist. Mm-hmm. They call them rappers. And we were OK with that because at the onset, rappers would say, yeah, I don't sing. Mm-hmm. So I'm a rapper. Not realizing you just gave them credence to do that and demean the fact that you are recording artists, mm-hmm. you are just as important to music as a singer mm-hmm. um and we allowed them to do that for a while, and it still happens today uh so I just wanna i wanna go into something else really quick about hip hop and the truths about hip hop because um, I need people to understand that. It is not what people think it is today. Mm -hmm. So, first we're gonna talk about you can talk about where it started all day long. You can have people say it started in the Bronx. You can some people say it started in Chicago, some people say it started in Detroit. You can say what you want. But at the end of the day, we know that DJ Cool Hurt, Mm -hmm. DJ Disco Wiz, Grandmaster Flash, Africa Bombada to some degree were the originators um, of where what we call hip hop Mm -hmm. and emceeing master of ceremony was the person that talked on the mic so for those that are really interested in the beginning of rap there's several people you can listen to karis one is one of the greatest that i've ever heard in explaining it but my cousin jazz and i'm not just saying this because he's my cousin i'm saying it because he understands music and I and he understands rap music because he was one of and still is one of the w- most well known rappers in New York today, especially in Brooklyn. Everybody knows who Jazzo is. Um, you can call him Jazz, Jazzo, Big Jazz. Originally Grandmaster Jazz. Um, but I've really got an understanding about what East MCing was. There was the guy that talked on the mic in the block parties, in the park, in the house parties. We get on the mic and they would talk and then eventually they were they were rap. Um, and I'm, I'm going to get to the end of this in a second. But there was a rapper named Busy Beat. MC named Busy B. And Busy B used to talk on the mic at all these house parties and even clubs. He would get on the mic and make people dance and, you know, he would just talk. He would get in an event. Every once in a while, he would say a rhyme. And one of his main things is he would do like a dang, diggy dang, the da dang, the da dang, and and do it on beat. And people loved that. And that's what used to start parties. So if you think about the first rap song that came on the radio, Sugar Hill Gang, they did the hip to the hop, did the hip the hip the hop, the hippie. That's Busy B, right? So then comes along Kumo cool D. Kumo cool D is going to battle Busy B. Back then, battles was I do a rhyme, I do my set, I do my thing, and then I pass the mic to you and you do yours. I don't say anything about you. That was the battle, you know? Uh, jazz battled uh, a lot of people, Dana Dane, for those that, that know old school. Rap Jazz did a battle against Dana Dane. And there was another guy. Um, he was one of the original B-boxers back in the day, too. He was in it too. But I remember Jazz beat Dana Dane in a, in a rap battle. But it wasn't the kind of battle where I'm gonna say something about you and you say something about me. So Kumo cool D goes into this battle with Busy B. Busy B has his known, sing, his known uh, signature, the dang-diggie-dang-dang-dang-dang. Dang the dang the dang. And Cool Mo D starts out with, yeah, you could take that. We could put that dang-diggie-dang-dang dang dang on hold. And the crowd went crazy because nobody ever did that. And then he started talking about him personally. <laughs> that was the first rap battle where somebody talked about the other person. Thus you have your current day rap battle that you guys watch on YouTube and all that today. So had it not been for cool Mo D and Busy B, you don't
1: have that today. Mm-hmm. So Just gave us a history. Yeah, that's dope.
0: So, that, that, that is absolutely dope. Um, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with song now. Uh, we talked about it on this podcast before, Nina Simone, mm-hmm. uh, Mississippi, goddamn which was made after Bloody Sunday in Birmingham, Alabama, where four girls were killed in the church bombing. And this also happens right after Mega Everest was assassinated as well. But she was originally loading up her gun after this happened. She was said she was going to go kill somebody um, after uh, Bloody Sunday. And her husband talked her out of it and put her focus away from the gun, <coughs> her pen, to where she began to uh, pin this record. Um, Mississippi Goddamn and people who heard it said this was her way of throwing 10 bullets back at the KKK through her music um, Mississippi Goddamn you also had Billie Holiday with Strange Fruit uh, was an anti lynching song that most white places, well all white places said that they didn't want her to perform that song, they wanted That's her to perform right. her other records but leave that song out um, and she was actually even targeted by federal police uh, for making that record to where she was arrested numerous of times on drug charges. Um, and they, one of the things they said, they'll stop harassing her if she stopped performing that record. That's right. Um, but the lyrics go, uh, black body swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from popular trees. Uh, and it painted the image of blacks being wenched. Um, if she continued to risk her life and her freedom by continuing to sing that song. Um across the world. So uh Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday and Mississippi Goddamn by Nina, not Nina Simone.
1: Um Marvin Gaye um what's going on. Uh it just gives you he did an incredible job of making you feel what he was feeling. Yeah. Uh from from the the music to the lyrics, you know, it just when you listen to it, it just puts you in that time that he recorded. And for an artist to to be able to make you travel back in the time, um, it, it's a classic record. Can everybody make timeless music? Right.
2: That's right. That's
1: a timeless
0: music. They still, that record's still going to be played 60, 70 years right. from
2: now. That's right. Because there's always going to be
0: another war. There's always going to mm-hmm. be that you can't go wrong with records like that that's just
2: timeless. That's right. I'm going I'm to stay in rap. Um, two of the first female rappers... And uh, you know how we we like to uplift blacks, but we also like to uplift our black women. We always like to do that on this podcast. So um, I want to mention MC Sha Rock from the Funky Four and Lisa Lee. And you can actually Google both of these, and they actually have video. Well, not some of the video footage, but at least they have sound bites to where you can listen to them. Um, and people like when you 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 talk about Queen Latifa, and uh, you talk about. Uh, um, People like Moni Love and, and uh, MC Light mm-hmm. for those that are old school rap 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 heads like me. Um without these people, you don't get uh Nicki Minaj. Mm-hmm. Y- you don't get these people. Um MC Shah Rock, Lisa Lee, I advise people go to YouTube, check them out, listen to them. Um uh and, and can't 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 fail to mention um, salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, when you listen to salt and pepper and their, their very first few songs, they mimic MC Shaw Rock and Lisa Lee. They were well known in, especially in New York, in the, in the Bronx anyway, um, as the first female rappers. So any rappers that came after them kind of mimic them. Um, Roxanne Shante. um, for those that, um, you know, like I said, old school rap heads, um, without these two, You don't get any of these other rappers
0: that's a fact that's a fact um sticking with songs again we talked about it briefly sam cook a change is going to come another timeless record Mm -hmm. um that that really helped the civil rights movement and helped other artists to speak out but when you listen to a change is going to come it it sounds like one of those negro spirituals Mm -hmm. again that that came way back when and and put over um a, a, a new sound, um, but as we talked about, it was like a spiritual song that gave black people hope. And it still does, you know, even with the recent things that's been going over the past years, that record still hits different whenever a situation happens. Um, Cause it's a song about enduring and black people have endured so much in this country that we're always looking forward for hope. Uh, um, we don't know, you know, when is it gonna be? We don't know when change is gonna come, mm-hmm. but we we hope it's soon. Um, and in that record, he talks about, you know, he he's afraid of dying because he don't know what's beyond the sky, and he doesn't know the legacy that he's leaving on earth where he can really create change at. So without that record, um there's a lot of artists that will never that probably wouldn't have spoken out about certain things. Um I don't know how much. Brother Malcolm influenced this. I don't know how much, um, like the the movie One Night in Miami shows, but he was in in, in great company with Brother Ali and Brother Malcolm, yeah. and um, to be able to create a record like this. But this wasn't his only record. He had a record called uh, Chain Gang that talked about um, the men working on the chain gang. Even though it was an up tempo beat, he would use up tempo beat to put small messages in his music. Um, you talked about Donny Hathaway earlier. One of my favorite songs, "Someday We'll All Be Free," mm-hmm. came at a time where he was fighting depression. Um, and it helped me through depression. That song really helped me through my mental health problems. Um, and it it, it gave him hope and it gave me hope. Um, and then Curtis Mayfield, "People Get Ready." Regan uh, reminds you of that old Negro spiritual, talking about getting on the train. Where on the plantation they were talking about going north. They were talking about going to the land of Canaan. When you talk about people getting on on board, you don't even you don't even need no ticket. Just get on board. That's right. Um, uh, and that was looking a way out, looking for a way out of their current situation. Uh, it was a sign of hope again, and that change was coming and that they were going to escape their horrible circumstances. So again, when you look at music, it it goes right back to the original Negro spirituals. Um, it's just an expression of the way that we feel, the way that we've been feeling. For over four hundred years, on uh, in, in in this country, and music is the perfect. If 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 people want to know what black people how black people feel, mm-hmm. you probably will let them hear a song. Right. And when you let them hear a song, you will get all of that frustration
1: expressions um, on how black people feel. And just to piggyback off of that, mine is Aretha Franklin. Respect. Um, Facts. You know. She, which is asking for a little respect. That's all. Right. As a hard. woman, you know, and some women still fighting for today. Right is is rights and and respect.
2: I'm gonna go Delphonics in the '60s and '70s. The Delphonics um, has songs like "La La," um, "Did Not Blow Your Mind This Time," "Break Your Promise," "I'm Sorry," um, "Ready or Not," uh, "Here I Come," which. <laughs> Has been done many, you many can, times <laughs> Yeah, so, you know The other thing about the Delphonics is that A lot of their music um are, you, you hear in, in Movies and, and on TV shows um, Quentin Tar- Tarantino In 1997 Jackie Brown um Had three songs from the Delphonics in, in that movie Along with a bunch of other TV shows So the Delphonics is a song that you know uh, had songs that were universal mm-hmm. that you hear in movies even today, or even TV shows. You might even know it's the Delphonics, mm-hmm. um, but very influential in movies in the in the eighties all the way up to now. Um, but I want to talk about most Sample songs real quick. So most Sample, "Amen Brother" by the Winstons, nineteen sixty nine. If you listen to that and you listen to "Funky Drummer," which is the fourth most sample song by James Brown, you listen to the drum beat, they're very similar. And James Brown, again, is the one who created, as we said, the one, but he also created that off beat. And I'm a, I, for those that want to know what that is, if you if you listen to Hot Cold Sweat by James Brown, 1968, um, the West Coast rappers got together and did a Stop the Violence version, um, the West Coast version of Stop the Violence called We're All on the Same Gang. When you listen to that beat, and it goes off beat for a second and back on that's James Brown <laughs> um and and he originated that so before him you didn't hear that that type of music so uh a funky drummer um play, the the payback the big payback um James Brown again uh funky president James Brown mm-hmm. um think think about it um Lynn Collins 1972 And Change the Beat, the female version by by B-Side, 1982. These are the most sampled songs. And for those that don't know what that means, that is sampling old music or copying old music for your present day music.
0: Uh, My last two. Uh, I wasn't going to talk about one, but I thought y'all were going to cover them. But I I didn't want to go through this whole episode without saying his name, which is Ray Charles. Absolutely. Uh, Ray Charles, uh, of course, went blind at a very early age to where he was sent to a school of blind where he learned how to play the piano. Um, but they said he could also type on a typewriter at about 75 uh, words per minute. Um, but you know, he, he he was really engaged by sound, his whole world turned into just sound. Um, and it actually did him favors by being blind because he became one of the best musicians because he understood sound so well um but ray became prominent because he began to turn gospel music into rhythm and blues music that's and right he would change the lyrics so a lot of people said that it was called the devil's music but he, he he incorporated that style and really changed music forever by doing that not only that he incorporated background singers Again, the call and response, the the say it back. Um he, he incorporated that by adding um I, I forget what their name was, the 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 ladies that was backing them up, but he incorporated that style to where a lot of people loved it. Uh that's Ray Charles. The last song I'm gonna talk about is key, especially when you talk about this podcast, which is by uh Gil Scott, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Um When you think about what what does the revolution will not be televised means. For some people, they say it's because you're going to overthrow the news that are that is, you know, talking about certain things to where they don't they don't have anything to report. But when I think about the revolution will not be televised, I'm thinking about it's not going to be on TV that you make change. It's not going to be on social media now that you scroll on social media, posting things that you're going to create change. It's going to happen in the mind. You don't put the mind on television. It's going to happen through educating yourself. It's going to happen when you stop eating everything that the media tries to give you. Um, And the revolution, the revolution will not be televised because it happens in books. It happens in changing your thoughts. And when you change your thoughts, you change your actions. When you change your actions, you change the people that are around you. When you change the people around you, you change your whole community. And when you change your community, you change your state, you change your state, you change the world, you change the world, you change everything. So the revolution would not be televised starts with the mindset. And that's what this whole podcast is about. It's about. Forget what you were taught on TV, forget what you were taught, K through 12. It's about always reeducating yourself and figuring out the truth, because the revolution would not be televised. You won't be able to see some of this information in movies. There are going to be bits and pieces of it, but a lot of it is not going to be be factual. It's going to be dramatized for Hollywood. When you think about music, you're not going to find everything that you need in music. You're going to find bits and pieces of it. We talk about on this episode all the time about opening up a book. We talk about this all, all the time about opening up your thoughts, opening up your perspective, what this podcast is about. Take everything that you ever learned and just throw it out the window for a second especially for white people to listen to this or black people who are so stuck in their ways. Listen to this podcast and understand and open up your mind to new things. You told me this when I first became a Christian. You said, all right, but always keep an open mind. I didn't understand what he he was talking about at the time, but I realized that you can get so caught up into something, for me, religion, that you miss out on everything that's surrounding it. And that's what can happen with information in life. You can get so caught up in TV, Social media, other people's word, that's why I said, don't take what we say on this podcast for 100 percent. go research it yourself. That's right. And open up your mind and when you change your mind, that is the revolution. That's right. When you think about the Black Panthers, the Black Panthers was revolutionary because they changed their mindset on the way that things was going in America. They changed their mindset of nonviolent to now self-defense. So the revolution would not be televised was a huge record. But it's also huge in incorporating that in our everyday life.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: You going after that. <laughs> 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 yeah, he always do that. I'm not going after that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'll let you take that. Yeah, I, I, <laughs>
2: That's
0: all I got. I'll let you get some clothes on the box.
2: I'm, I'm with, I'm with Shaquan. I went. I went I Yeah,
0: that's
2: that's like going on stage after James Brown. Yeah, yeah, who, who left in the you audience? That. <laughs> who, who, who left after that?
0: I, I like that. What I want to say. The guy that's supposed to spoke after Dr. King at the I Have a Dream. That's speech. right. You know what, Dr. King kind of he he stole my speech.
2: Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. But I at the end of the day, I ain't not think we can say after that, see you next Sunday.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to follow that up with Nelly and Tim McGraw over and over. I can't, can't follow
0: that. Uh, but thank everybody for tuning in. Again, when you think about music, you think about the music genres, it all goes back to the black man and the black woman. Um, hate to say it, but it's, it's true. Um. I don't, why you hate to say it? Exactly. That's, that's <laughs> Why right. you hate right. to say it? That's, that's right. It's not political perspective. I don't hate to say it. It all goes back to, to, to black people. Um, we love y'all. We, we appreciate y'all. Thank y'all for tuning in. See you next week.